Welcome everybody. My name is Florence Hudson and I'm delighted that I'm on the board for blockchain and healthcare today. So I have the wonderful opportunity every year to participate in, in Converge to Accelerate. And what I'm really excited about this year is my colleague and friend Shantanu Chakrabarti from Washington University in St. Louis is going to be talking about his technologies because this session is about quantum technologies and techniques for cybersecurity and healthcare. So Shantanu is an NSF-funded researcher. He has other um, investments that are going into what he's doing. And he is a real leader in quantum tunneling-based timer technology. And so we're looking forward to sharing these ideas with you. We would love on the back end, if you want to communicate with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter, to be able to talk about this even further, because we really think this is going to be very differentiating and help us with the future of cybersecurity and healthcare. So Shantanu, if you could introduce yourself a little bit and then take us through your presentation, and then we'll ask a few more questions on the back end. Okay, thank you, Florence, uh, for this invitation. So I'm Shantanu Chakraborty. I'm a professor here in electrical and systems engineering at Washington University, St. Louis. Um, and so today um, I'm going to first uh, describe a little bit of the work that we have been doing in the area of uh, quantum-based technologies for cybersecurity. And uh, this work has been previously funded from NSF. Um, we have been working on this for about like four or five years. And it has come to the point where we are trying to deploy some of these, uh, these systems in the real world. So uh, Florence, should I just start with the presentation? Please do. Just. Go right ahead. Okay. So I have a few slides that just gives you an overview of what the technology is about. Um, and to just uh, highlight and compare it, what's already existing out there, um, a single visual that can summarize what the current technologies and their limitations are, it can be viewed through this, I would say, simple picture, uh, which is a tablet and the whole uh, notion of security is for someone not to figure out what's engraved on this. And so if you don't have the Rosetta Stone or the adversary doesn't have the Rosetta Stone, the idea is that you cannot infer what's written on this tablet. Effectively, that's what most of the current technologies do. There are different names associated with it. So either they use some kind of a computational functions, cryptographic functions to make this uh, uh, harder for the adversary to decode. Or you could use some kind of a physical unclonable function, which means that you use some nuances of hardware or idiosyncrasies of hardware to make or to encrypt the data before it is stored on a platform or you use some kind of a user-specific signature to again encrypt and secure the data. The problem with all these approaches are that they are inherently static. So they don't change with time. And because they don't change with time, that means that if your adversary has enough resources and, and, and computational power, there could be a mechanism by which you can reverse engineer what's being written on this tablet. Um, so where we come in is we make each of these engravings dynamic in nature. So one can think that these, um, these little dots, they fluctuate with time. And so our solution in that regard is dynamic. So even if the adversary gets hold of one of these inscriptions or the data, it doesn't make much sense to them unless until you know how that dynamics is evolving. 
So what we also do is that we have this bunch of different timers or this, uh, this uh, time uh, sensitive or, uh, or engravings. And then uh, we synchronize it with, a, with its software clone, which runs on a server. And only the, the user who has programmed these, these timers knows what the secret sauce is, what the underlying dynamics are. And so only if you have those two ingredients, you would be able to decipher what's written or what's actually stored um, on the substrate. The challenge, however, which we try to address in our research is how to make sure that the basic entity itself is secure. So we kind of have to put this in a safe where no one can access the information, the basic information using either using side channel or they intentionally or malintentionally try to tamper the content of these timers. And so this is where quantum technologies come in to secure some of the dynamics of these basic entities. So, um, so I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details of the technology. It uses a phenomena called quantum tunneling. And using quantum tunneling, what we do is that we can uh, eliminate the use of batteries. So we can make everything self-powered, uh, practically zero power. Uh, so because it's self-powered, the technology itself doesn't have any power side channels. Uh, because it uses few electrons, tunneling of few electrons, it doesn't generate any electromagnetic signatures. So it doesn't have an EM side channel. And then again, because of the quantum nature of the phenomena, if someone tries to manipulate the device itself, that changes the functionality of the device. So it makes it tamper-proof as well. So overall, when when I try to explain this, like what does the what does this technology how does it relate to something that is out there? So this is a, you know, the RSA key fob that you know, many of us use it in two-factor authentication. We can think of this technology as an RSA secure ID in, on steroids, which means that you have about 10 to the power of eight reduction in size. And there are these a lot of features. So it's not just one clock. There are millions of clocks that are synchronized with respect to each other. It's self-powered. It doesn't require any batteries. And then it has a very unique feature, which is quantum-like. So if, if once you access one of the device, it kind of destroys itself. So in that regard, it's also quantum-like. Uh, so it allows only one-time read. So uh, the hardware itself is not enough because you know it always has some quirks and idiosyncrasies. So if you want to create a complete solution, of course, you need to have some kind of a software. So we have a software stack that sits on this on this hardware, uh, reads some of the tokens that are generated by the hardware, and then you provide an end-to-end -end security solution. So there are several different applications that are possible, and I'm just highlighting some of them here. You can create what's called a trusted platform module, TPMs. Uh, you can have data that automatically uh, deactivate or disappears over time. So because everything is dynamic in nature, and this is where some of the privacy-related data could be useful. Um, one-time passwords can be generated based on dynamics. You could use the same technology for distributing keys securely. Um, you can use this for access control and authentication. And then, of course, if there are IPs on a hardware or in software that needs to be disabled over time, then you can use the same technology for doing that. Um, another variant, um, I would say, of the same method, but now instead of 
securing the timer completely so that you don't have any side channels, we can actually intentionally introduce some side channels uh, intentionally by uh, making some of these timers sensitive to environmental conditions like temperature, uh, maybe an ambient Wi-Fi signal or vibration. And if we do that, then what we can do, we can use the same technology for securing supply chains. An example here is that if you send a bunch of these devices over a, you know, a supply chain, at some point in time, if there is some kind of an event that happens on, uh, so for example, the bunch of these timers experience a specific set of temperature, whereas another set of uh, timers experience a different set of temperature, then by measuring how desynchronized these clocks are with respect to each other because each temperature is going to change the profile of the clocks a little bit you can figure out maybe did they go through the same supply chain or they experience the same temperature conditions or not so using this technique we can actually do lots of not just temperature but you can monitor other environmental conditions so this is time to temperature it could be time to vibration time to light it all depends on how you change or modulate the the, the the clock itself so where is it useful you know uh, we are living in a covid era so for example in pharmaceuticals one of the things that you want to ensure that the vaccines are always stored within a certain temperature compliance range and so this is something that is useful there uh, fish meat dairy products again you know uh, for uh, food products this is useful um, and one of the nice things about this technology is that it acts like a blockchain because once you have stored the signature of the ambient condition, it's very difficult to untamper or tamper with it. To uh, so in in that regard, it's always storing the signatures continuously. Okay, so if I and compare where does this technology compare with in for supply chain with what is out there. So there is this one technology which is based on batteries. Generally, they are big in size. Uh, there is this Wi-Fi based uh, technology which is remotely powered. So Williet is one example. And then in our case, because everything is self-powered, doesn't require any external powering. It's always on. Uh, it combines some kind of a security and sensing together. And also it's low cost. Uh, so in summary, uh, I feel, and this is my opinion, that if you use quantum primitives, uh, what you can do is you can build a core hardware that is inherently secure. And using that code hard, core hardware, you can then build a software stack and other things that can then enable fast authentication and transaction. This is very important for some of the IoT applications. Uh, because it has low computational requirements. Uh, you can use it for low resource settings. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's uh, because it's a single chip solution. It doesn't require any batteries. It reduces cost. And then the same technology can be applied to uh, small portable devices all the way to an enterprise scale devices, depending on how much complexity you want to build around it. So with that, I will hand over the mic to Florence. Florence, you're muted.
Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Shantanu. That was excellent as always. So I have a couple of questions for our audience too, so they can understand the practical application of this. So when you were talking about, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, the COVID vaccine, or food, where would this actually go? It would go on the packaging. Yeah. So it. So the main attractive uh, part of this technology is that it can allow vial level monitoring. So on every vial, you can put this, not on a big package. Um, so, and because uh, for vaccine, you have to ensure that every vial is compliant with respect to the temperature conditions. Um, so, so it allows that level of granularity in terms of monitoring. Okay. So it would go like on some type of writing that was on the vial or like right in the label? No. So we were envisioning is it's more on the cap. Okay. And so when somebody uh, wants to uh, determine if the vaccines were stored under right conditions. They can they can read the content of these devices and figure out whether it was always maintained at the same temperature level or or did it go out of temperature compliance at any point in time. Interesting. So would there be a separate device that would actually do the reading for them so they could see if there was an anomaly they have to worry about? Yes. So there is a reader that needs to okay. read the data. What about for food? You don't put it right on the scallop or whatever you were showing, right? No, so there is so there are existing RFID based uh, tags that go on food packages, so it will be more integrated with those systems. Uh, so it will be an add-on to for food packaging, uh, but technically, you know, I feel that the form factor is small enough that you can always embed it as well. So it, it then the issue becomes more of a readout, like how would you expect a customer to know um, how to extract the data from here? So it, that it becomes a different challenge. It does. Well, that's the way new technology is, right? You fix one thing, you break another, or you have to yes. think about another. Yes. So, um, I love the, as you know, I've been interested in this technology since I met Shantanu a few years ago, because he had NSF-funded research in cybersecurity. I was working for the NSF Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at Indiana University at the time, and we were doing transition to practice workshops talking about how do we bring this to the light of day, and it's come so far. I'm so excited about this. Um, one of the things that's been happening at the same time in parallel is we've been building, as you know, you spoke on the standards working group call, we've been building a standard with IEEE and Underwriters Laboratory um, for clinical IoT and TIPS, we call it. So clinical Internet of Things devices, data and device validation and interoperability with TIPS, trust, identity, privacy, protection, safety, and security. So when I listen to you, I feel like you could actually maybe touch all of those letters. So uh, maybe you can help us understand a little bit for people who talk in the trust and identity way, you know, how this is kind of a solution there, um, the privacy of the data, and then of course, protection, safety, and security, I think are part of the brand promise you have for this technology right now. So can you talk about the different tips elements, please? Yeah, so let me, I think it would be a good way to highlight it through this slide because the technology is a platform technology. Uh, all it does is, is, is provide a way to secure the core hardware and then using that hardware, build the solution around it. So it could be, it completely depends on how you use those secure tokens that are generated by the hardware. So you could use those tokens to for example, make the data disappear over time. So in, if, for example, if you have some 
uh, user-centric data that can only be used for a certain duration. Um, then you can use this technology to make the data disappear after a while. So that's one example. Um, you could uh, use the, these, some of these chips because some of these chips are, uh, you can manufacture them in large scale and relatively at much low cost. You can use them to distribute keys securely across multiple users. And um, why is that important? Because the key distribution is considered the, the, the hardest problem in cryptography. So once you have securely exchanged keys, then you can use the other cryptographic techniques for secure communications. So, so this technology can enable that aspect as well. And then of course, you know, access control, um, because again, we are using synchronization between multiple timers um, that can also allow uh, you to authenticate whether the timers that you have matches the timer that I have. And if both of these clocks match, then you can say that, okay, I, I can authenticate a specific transaction. Um, yeah, so, so in, in general, it can, because the technology is platform in nature, it can address each and every aspect of those um, cybersecurity research. Now, of course, uh, there are limitations associated with it. So I'm not, you know, so, so because this is hardware, so there are things that, one has to take care of in terms of robustness. Um, so for extreme harsh operating conditions, maybe that this may not be the right technology, things like that. But in for medical devices, yes. Uh, That's very cool. I'm really glad you brought up medical devices. That's what I wanted to talk about next. So from a medical device perspective, could this go on an implantable? as well as on an external device? Yeah, so implantable device, I feel that that's the ideal platform because they are more resource constrained. Mm -hmm. So uh, so th some of those implanted devices cannot um, run the entire cryptographic stack, for example. And then uh, the security of, of those devices are more, um, important compared to variables to some degree because in variables yes if you uh you know if you don't authenticate one transaction uh maybe with your fitbit it may not be such a big thing as opposed to your pacemaker or your uh, artificial pancreas so so it 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 uh, for the implantable devices yes you know this allows you to provide a more secure uh, and uh, a solution that requires less computational power. Um, variables, yes, because battery technologies are always going to improve with time. Uh, so uh, maybe down the road, there would be solutions that are more energy efficient. So, um, so I feel that yes, it, it will still work. The solution will still work, but it may not be like a, a must have solution. It could be a nice to have solution in that case. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I remember the days when people would say, oh, low power, you know, it means it can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And look at this, this is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that, that I get out of, you know, talking to you and learning more about your approach to quantum technologies and techniques is how that actually allows us to create very powerful <laughs> low power solutions. Does that make sense? Yes. So, um, because 
at the core, we are using some of the quantum techniques to provide basic security primitives, uh, like eliminating side channels, uh, and and because that is physics space, so you cannot fight with physics. But once you have the core, uh, I would say, uh, basic security available through hardware, then it's up to us how you can expand that security. You can make it more secure. You can you can provide different levels of security based on that. Um, and that's the beauty of quantum techniques is uh, the, the, the physics itself provides that security. Which is a beautiful thing. So um, one other question. So as we look into the future, and I know the way your brain works, and you look at the present and you look at the future constantly, and that's how you come up with great ideas like this and actually create it. There are two questions I have. One is, are you looking for people to partner with you to try out this technology? Yes. So... Um, <clears throat> So we have uh, several demonstration platforms um, and some of my students, they are actively involved in commercializing this technology. So it would be always good to understand uh, the other side of the equation, which is the application side of the equation on where the need is, where the customer pain points are so that we can tailor this stack this so the hardware remains the same but then the software part keeps on changing based on different application needs so yes meaning that that i think is our next goal is to understand the customer pain points and then adapt this technology to fit uh, the end application better that's wonderful um, well, I think this is a great audience to be sharing that with because we are talking about you know, healthcare devices, pharmaceuticals, and there are a lot of healthcare people in the audience. So that's really great. So thank you for sharing that. And then the other question I have is looking into the future, where do you where are some interesting places you see quantum techniques and technologies going related to cybersecurity and healthcare or healthcare in general? Any thoughts you have on that? So it again, so security is a very, um, I would say, I shouldn't say nebulous subject. It's like, I think the most important part is the standardization of security. Once, once it's clear, like, how do you define security? Like when some something is said, like, okay, this device is providing this level of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we can quantify if, for example, our technique can get to that level. Um, so, uh, so all, for example, what we can say, at least with the platform that we have, it's very difficult to tamper with our device. It's very difficult to get a side channel. Um, now, is it not possible down the road that there are other vulnerabilities that might show up? Um, the answer could be yes, could be no. And that's true with any technologies. Um, So like if it's uh, uh, denial of service attack, for example, right? Um, Somebody adversary might find a different way to to figure out how to tamper with these devices. But I, at least what I feel is that if you are, if your security relies on quantum or physics space, it's very difficult to manipulate that. Uh, then that's where the disadvantages of some computational techniques come in is because it's very difficult to guarantee what will happen in the future. So when if a quantum computer indeed becomes a reality, 
lot of things will break apart. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Again, that's where you know all the speculation lies. Now, medical devices, of course, are I, I shouldn't say this, but it's generally considered the bottom of the totem pole because uh, they all always I feel are um, catching up with what the state of the art is because the first iteration is always the security is always the uh, the an afterthought so sometimes it's uh, it's better to uh, have work with a platform that you know will kind of give you some level of security uh, rather than fix problems later on um, so I, so in that regard also i feel that our technology can help uh, because you know beforehand looking into the future you know quantum will give you some level of security so i you should you should expect the same to exist in the future as well uh, irrespective of whether the quantum computer becomes a reality or not becomes a reality fair well you've shown us that quantum tunneling timer technologies can be a reality so that's really good that's a good start um and and i really love how you're helping us see how it can help us today and then there's more opportunity in the future so if anybody is interested in chatting with Shantanu, I don't know if Shantanu can perhaps share his email address. Um, and if you're interested in participating in the IEEE UL standards work around the space of tips, trust identity, privacy protection, safety and security for clinical IoT, then you could reach out to me, I'm florence.hudson at columbia.edu. I'm executive director of the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub at Columbia, and I also lead the NSF-funded COVID information comments. So we live in this space, and we really want to help everybody be more safe and secure into the future. So thank you for joining us, and Shantanu, thank you as always for sharing your incredible research, and we wish you all the best. Goodbye, everyone, and thank you. Yeah, thanks, Florence.